0: Well, good morning, Thrive Church. I can't wait for next week. Uh, We'll get to do this series called Pigs in Flight, right? I'm excited about this one. But today I'm really excited, too, is that um, it's not a a lot of times I get to have somebody who's a longtime friend to get to share the stage with. And today I have my best friend, uh, Brian Burgess. We've been friends for over 20 years. We've Uh, done lots together. So, I remember even seeing him get saved um, at church, saw his transformation, his hunger for God's Word. Uh, We ended up, he joined our band and toured in our punk rock band together, and we traveled all across the nation. We dormed together, went to college uh, to go into ministry. We've been in several ministries together, and now he pastors Forward Church in Portsmouth, Virginia, out near Virginia Beach, the Tidewater area. And he is one of the like greatest Bible teachers I've ever been around. He's got a great YouTube channel you need to check out if you want to learn more about the Bible. Uh, but also too, he's super funny. He's funnier than me. Can you believe that? Can you believe anybody is funny? Well, here's what I need you to do. Um, I need you to because you guys give me a lot of courtesy laughs, even though it's not very funny sometimes. If you will, make sure you give him the same courtesy laughs. and if you will, let's give him a thrive. welcome. Brian Burgess, put your hands together as he brings God's word today. Thrive Church. What
1: is going on guys? Everybody doing well today? Fantastic. Well, listen, as we get started today, I'm going to share some things from God's word and uh, we're going to have a good time. At least I think we're going to have a good time. At least I'm going to have a good time. I don't know about you, but before we do that, how about we pause for a second and ask God to just speak to us. One of the things that I like to pray as a communicator is that God would kind of move me to the side. And here's what I picture. I picture like the shelf. And I'm on the shelf and I want God to just move me to the side of that shelf so everybody can see who he is. And so I've learned, though, that it's important for you as a listener to pray that prayer, too, because everybody brings something with them into the building. And so can we take a moment and pray that God would just move all of that stuff, maybe even off the shelf, some of the things we should just take off the shelf for forever, right? And ask God to be present and to be very much interacting with us today. So let's pray together. Father. We pray just that thing that I said, that you would move us off the shelf, that you would put your glory on display as we sing about you being holy, 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 remind us that you are, that we are so far away from that and so ridiculously big gap between who you are and who we are, yet in Jesus, you chose to bridge that gap. And so today, as we go to your word, we pray that you would be honored, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would speak to our situation, very tailor-made just for each of us. And we give you honor and glory. And, and we, we know when we leave here, we're not going to always get it right. And, and, and thank you that you have grace for that. But God, today in this moment, we just submit to you. We say another yes to you today. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, I want to share a story with you that a man by the name of Jeffrey Zaslow shares this story about his dad coaching a little league team. Now, I've got three kids, and two of those three kids are little league size, our little league age. They're not necessarily little league size, they're some big boys, but uh, they've played little league soccer, and if you've ever watched kids play little league soccer, may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you. Like, I'll never forget, like, cheering for them to score goals and then screaming that your goal's this way, right? Like, because Little Leaguers sometimes don't always get it figured out right, you know? Well, this story, Jeffrey shares about his dad who coached a Little League baseball team, and this Little League baseball team was really bad. Like, they were so bad that they had lost every game that season. However, this story has almost like a Hollywood story to it. Like, they get to the final game of the season, And at the final game of the season, there's like six innings in Little League, not nine. So it's the bottom of the sixth inning. So this is the last opportunity that his team has a chance to win their first and only game of the year. The problem is the worst kid on the team is now up to bat. So the worst kid on the team is standing at the plate. And everybody knows that this is going to be it. It's, It's a disaster. This kid's going to strike out. And they're only one run behind. So if God shows up and like a miracle of miracles takes place, this kid will get a home run and he'll come around and he'll tie the game. But don't you know, tying the game, like, what was that movie bad, The, the, the good news or bad news bears, like tying's like kissing your sister and nobody likes that. Like you don't want the tying run to happen. You want to actually win the game. And so they're like, well, this is over. This kid's terrible. So, so guess what happens? The coach turns around and starts consoling his team. Before the game's over, he starts telling them the game's over. That sometimes feels like my spiritual gift the gift of negativity. The gift of, oh Lord, here we go again. Does anybody else have that gift in the building? What about your in laws? Do they have that gift in the building? Come on now, okay. You know what the difference is between in laws and outlaws? Outlaws are wanted. Thank you for the courtesy laugh. Okay. So, He's consoling the team, telling them, you know, hey, we, you know, we'll get them next time. And, and they are kids that are crying and there's not going to be a next time. It's the last time. And, and then all of a sudden they hear the sound that if you've ever been on a baseball field is the most magical sound you'll ever hear. And that's the sound of the ball connecting, of the bat connecting with the ball. Ping. And he like turns around. He can't believe it. The worst kid on the team has gotten a hit and he's running as hard as he can to first base, and they're losing their mind. They're, oh my gosh, yeah! And this kid gets to first base, and they lose their mind. They're like clapping, they're going crazy because you're saying there's a chance. Because the next guy that's gonna come up is the team slugger. And the heavens opened, (laughs) and the Spirit of God descended. So in like one moment, this coach goes from everything's terrible to holy God, we've got a chance. (laughs) And so now he's got them up on their feet and they're doing that, you know, right? They're getting ready. They're getting excited. Y'all want to rock you, don't you? I know what's up. (laughs) The pitcher winds up. He's left-handed because that makes a good pitcher. And he sends it down the, down the thing there. And they hear that sound again. Ding. He gets a great hit. They're losing their mind. Parents in the stand who have been miserable all year, because if you're a parent in the stand, you know, like, you got to have that ride, that talk in the ride, on the, in the, in the, on the car ride home, like, we'll get them next time, when really you're like my kid's a loser, right? Like, how do, like how, do, how do I say maybe this isn't for you? Like, I don't know. Like, uh, and uh, like, I've almost gotten kicked out of some of my kids' soccer games because I get like ferocious. And, and like, so he's like, oh, here we go. They're they're, they're waiting on this awesome thing to happen and this kid gets the hit and everybody's losing their mind And so the kid that's on first which remember the story. He's the worst kid on the team He doesn't understand anything about baseball. He's just out there happy and excited that his cleats match (laughs) And he takes off from first to run to second Everybody's losing their mind sluggers running to first if they get a home run they've won the game But there's always the dumb kid on the team. Pastor Kevin introduced me and said, we've been together for about 20 or so years. I'll let you do the math on who the dumb one on our team is. It's not the tall one. And they never had him back to thrive again. Okay. So this kid's running from first to second, like they can taste this victory problem is he doesn't understand the rules of baseball and he sees this line drive coming to him. So what does he do? Instincts kick in. A ball's flying as fast as it can toward your face. What do you do? He reaches out and grabs the ball. Now, if you're a baseball fan, you know, that's not good. If you're not a baseball fan, let me tell you, that's not good. He caught the final out and the game was over. That was it. In two plays, he got a hit that saved the day and he got a catch that saved the day for the other team. Now, here's the beauty of Coach Zaslow. He turned around and he made his team cheer as loud as they had cheered. He was like, come on, let's put our hands together. Come on, cheer. Can you just help me out? Can I be coach for a second? Let's just cheer. Yeah, woo, woo, yeah. (laughs) Don't you hate when speakers do that? When they're like, oh, come on, you can do better than that. How are you doing? I hate that crap, but anyway. Thanks for playing along. Now, why on earth would he have them cheer for this kid who just lost the game for them? See, here's the backstory of that really bad kid. He was so terrible that all season he had yet to get a hit or a catch. But now, in two back-to-back plays, he got his very first hit and his very first catch. Now... Have you ever felt like that's how life is? Like sometimes, man, nobody believes in you and all of a sudden you stand up at the plate and you get that pitch and you finally get the hit. And you're like, yeah, we finally saved money, praise God. Wow, our marriage is doing great, praise God. Our kids will be off parole soon, praise God. But then the very next play, you make a boneheaded decision and you mess it up. Well, I thought he was the one. Or, stimulus, let's spend all the money. (laughs) I I know you wouldn't do that. I know you wouldn't do that. But that's what we do in life, right? Like, Like we live by our successes and we die by our failures. The problem with living by your successes and dying by your failures is the truth about life is you're probably going to have a lot more failures in life than you do successes. Also, the sad reality is we can hitch our emotional and mental health to how good things are going or how bad things are going. What we see when we come to the book of 1 Corinthians, which is where I'm going to be sharing from today, is we see a letter that was written by a leader, by a guy by the name of Paul, who was one of the most influential leaders in the New Testament. He's writing to a church in Corinth. Now, Corinth was an interesting city. Corinth was kind of like a mixture of like the cool parts of Manhattan, like the sexy parts of, oh yeah, we're New Yorkers, yeah, like the cool part of that, but also it was a mixture of like the, the seedy side of Las Vegas. The side where they say what happens in Vegas does what? That's not true, because if that were true, you wouldn't know that statement, right? <laughs> what happens in Vegas ends up on Facebook. But that's what Corinth was. So it was kind of this up-and-up city, but it also had a really bad reputation. As a matter of fact, in Corinth, there was a, there was a not just Corinth, but in the first century kind of Mediterranean world where the, where the Bible took place, there was this phrase, to Corinthianize. Now, to Corinthianize basically meant that you had loose morals and you did whatever you wanted to do sexually. Today, we would probably, instead of saying Corinthianize, we would say Americanize. Now, I messed up the mic from the first service, and I'm not going to drop this one because it's the only one that I have. But I would drop the mic if I could at that point. They had this reputation of kind of anything goes. Have you ever been around a society like that. Like, really, when you read the letter to the Corinthians, you're really reading, right, like, what's into our American modern society. And and the Corinthians, were, they were interesting. Like, one minute, they would get up to bat, and they would get a hit. And everything would be perfect. Like, they had spiritual gifts out the wazoo. Don't Google, what is a wazoo, by the way. Pro tip for you, okay? But they had a lot of spiritual gifts. It's Really, it's a Greek word from the New Testament. You just don't want to Google that. But they had so many spiritual gifts. As a matter of fact, they had... All this excess and this abundance of spiritual gifts. And so, Paul, actually in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, kind of deals with the proper use of spiritual gifts. Now, that's whenever they're living in their best, man like God's at work, church services are amazing. But also, the church in Corinth, they had members in the church in Corinth that, how shall I put this delicately? Corinth had many temples. And one of the temples that they had was a temple to a goddess. And instead of priests that were male, they had priestesses, which were female, and they would serve in the temple in the daytime. And in the nighttime, these temple priestesses were also temple prostitutes. And so they would go into the city at night and put on fundraisers for the temple. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? If you know what I'm saying, say amen. Amen. Pastor staff, these are the ones to pray for. (laughs) All right? If you didn't say amen, if you don't know what I'm saying, y'all be praying for them right now, okay? So that was a creative way to raise funds for their church. But what were the Corinthians doing? They were having this awesome time with the spiritual gifts and God showing up and moving, and they're embracing one another in Christian community. But then they're going out and they're sleeping with temple prostitutes. And so they would, like a pendulum, swing back and forth from getting it right to getting it wrong, getting it right to getting it wrong. And and honestly, I look at the Corinthians and I I don't see, like, I I used to look at, when I was younger and I knew it all, I used to look at the Corinthians and I'm like, man, those guys are terrible. Then I became a pastor and I'm like, man, these guys are terrible. Then I found a mirror in my house and I'm like, good Lord, as good as he looks, he's really bad morally. Not a joke, (laughs) y'all. Both of those statements are true. He looks good, and he's got some moral things he needs Jesus with, okay? And that's what we have when we look at Corinth. We have this church that they sometimes get it really, really right, but they also sometimes get it really, really wrong. But what I want you to notice today as we go through the letter of 1 Corinthians, or at least these first few verses, is I want you to see the power of the grace of God. Because here's what I know. You may feel like you're closest to God whenever you get it right, and you may feel like you're furthest away from God when you get it wrong, but God's grace is so much greater than you think. And so the one thing that I really want to leave with you today is that God's grace is so much greater than you think. Do you like that dramatic pause that I just did? Sometimes I feel like Pastor Keith up here. (sighs) I want to be the small group guy too, you know? And Kevin, go talk about, I saw him when he got saved. I've always been saved when he got saved. I'm so holy I can't take a shower to water parts. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) It's true, it's true, it's true. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to start at verse 4, and I'm going to read this. This is a prayer that Paul the Apostle makes at the beginning of this letter. Now, he's going to get into some deep, hard teachings in this entire letter, but look at how he starts it. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4 says this. I always thank my God for you and for the gracious gifts he has given you now that you belong to Christ Jesus. He thanks God for them. I love to say it this way. Like, you're somebody's reason to say thank God, and you're somebody's reason to say oh God. And if you don't believe that. Oh, God, for you, okay? I always thank my God for you and for the gracious gifts he has given you now that you belong to Christ Jesus. Through him, that's through Jesus, God has enriched your church in every way. Now he explains what that looks like. With all of your eloquent words and all of your knowledge, this confirms that what I told you about Christ is true. Now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. And then verse nine is really one of those verses that we should all memorize. Verse nine says this, God will do this for he is faithful. I've lived so much of my Christian life with me trying to be faithful. And I've lived in the grind of I've gotta be nice to people. I've got to pray. I've got to read my Bible. Has anybody else ever lived there before? I've got to love my enemies. I've got to have a good attitude when they tell me to put a mask on. And I've lived in this grind of my ability and my faithfulness. Now, to be fair, we're all called to work out our own salvation. We're all called to live the life that we have in a way that will honor God. So there is effort on our part, but what we do is we put too much emphasis on the effort that's on our part and not enough emphasis into the fact that it is God who's at work in you, baby. It is God who is at work. God is faithful. God has called you. He will work in you. He will cause those fruits of the spirit spirit to, to pop out of your life. He will empower you. That's the beauty of grace. And I think for us, when we live as grind Christians, we grind trying to get a hit like that first little kid does. And whenever we get a hit, we think our Christianity is good. And we tend to look down on those that don't get hits. Everybody go, ooh. You missed my cue. As a communicator, this is my cue for you to go, ooh. (laughs) We live by the grind, and we start thinking that it's all about what we do and how good we can be. And I got up this morning at 6 o'clock to pray, so I'm better than you. And then all of a sudden, Pastor Kevin's like, bro, I was up at 415 at the YMCA deadlifting 3,000 pounds. (laughs) You don't believe me? Check my Facebook out. I play basketball, I'm 72 years old, and I still play basketball every morning. Oh man, he's gonna get me. But see, we live by the grind and not living by grace. Verse 9 says, God's the one who's faithful to do these things. God's the one who's faithful to enrich you. God's the one who's faithful to pour his spirit out on you. God's the one who's faithful to see you through whatever it is you're dealing with. God's the one who's faithful to help you in the middle of that temptation. God's the one who's faithful to help bless your marriage. God's the one one who's there to help you even though your marriage did fail. God's the one that's helping you fix it and get it all put back together. God is faithful. When we come into worship, we come into worship the God who is faithful. We don't come into worship because I need something from God. We come into worship because, my God, I got to give you something. God is faithful. I wish I had learned this earlier as a follower of Jesus. See, when we live by the grind and when we live by how good we are, we often forget that our connection to God is not dependent on how good or how not good I am. On my best day, I can't jump high enough to get to heaven. And I can't tell you how many nights I've laid in bed and I've struggled while I'm going to sleep thinking, I shouldn't have thought that, I shouldn't have said that, I shouldn't have gone there, I shouldn't have done that. Is anybody else like that? And the grind will beat you to death. The grind will bring condemnation like crazy. But the last time I read the book of Romans, it says there is now no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. Praise God. That's the gospel, y'all. There's no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. Well, preacher, are you saying that I can do anything I want to? No. No. Didn't you hear how the Corinthians were? No. In case you're wondering, don't go help the temple prostitutes raise money for their temple. <laughs> give money to like a send outreach center and give, give money to your church. <laughs> Glory to Jesus. Not, not to the prostitutes. In case you're wondering, probably not a good look. See, Paul will go on to say that they are bought with a price, that their lives are not their own. And as a follower of Jesus, you and I, we've been bought with a price, and so our lives are not our own. But what we've got to realize is that we're not grind Christians, we're grace Christians, and grace is so much greater than you think. See, when I look at this text, there are at least three things that I see in there. I want to kind of pull them out, and, and then we'll pray and we'll go. But the first thing is really this. God's grace makes my life rich. Paul says here that in verse 5, through him, through Jesus, God has enriched your church in every way. See, the gift of the Holy Spirit is to bring richness into your life. The gift of the Holy Spirit is to bring, you may be going through something that you have no idea how you're going to deal with it, but all of a sudden you've got peace that passes understanding. That's the richness of the Holy Spirit. You may have options in front of you right now, and you don't know what the best decision is to be made But all of a sudden you feel a leading in a certain direction That's the discernment of the Holy Spirit that enriches your life You may be going through a thing that many partners and many spouses go through Which the y'all non-spiritual people call it arguing You need to realize you don't argue with your spouse You have a heated exchange of concerned ideas through vigorous fellowship with your spouse okay (laughs) You got to put, listen, it's a holy conversation, okay? A holy conversation. A holy conversation. I am very sorry, y'all. Lord, help us. See, the Holy Spirit comes to enrich those moments. So maybe you're sitting there, you going, Brian, I just don't feel like I have a very enriched moment. My, my relationship with God isn't very enriched. Have you seen what's happening in my life? And I would say this, either God's lying to you or your situations are lying to you. And my money is that it's not God that's lying to you. My money is that your situations are trying to tell you that they're bigger than you are. And what's happening right now is the worst thing that's ever happening. And you're running around like Chicken Little with the sky falling. And what I want to challenge you to do is just reframe the situation and view them through the richness of God's grace. See, when God gives my life richness through his grace, he also does that by giving me the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the next thing that I want you to know is that God's grace gives me the Holy Spirit. Y'all, Jesus said to his disciples, I'm not going to leave you like orphans. Now, orphans are those who really are part of no family and they're at the mercy of someone else. And Jesus had the nerve to say to his disciples, I'm not going to leave you that way, but rather I'm going to send you another one, a comforter, one who will do all things through you, who will bring to remembrance all the things that I've taught you, the spirit of truth. See, I I think the truth is, is that those of us that have been Christians for like six months or longer, is we take for granted the reality that we have the Holy Spirit alive on the inside of us. And we have dead doctrine in our heads that has yet to get on fire in our hearts. And we say things like, yeah, holy, 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 blessed Trinity, all this good song, and I like the harmony and all this, yeah. But we forget that you've got God himself on the inside of you. Yeah, you can make the right decision. Yeah, you can overcome that temptation. Yeah, you can have the fruit of the Spirit alive inside of you. Yeah, you can have the mind of Christ alive inside of you. Why? You have the very same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead alive on the inside of you. <laughs> Glory to God. You're not an orphan. World religions, major world religions will tell you that you've got to get it figured out and get it right yourself and good luck to you. Christianity will tell you, you ain't ever going to get it right yourself. Here's the Holy Spirit. Here's Jesus who did it for you. You don't have to struggle with this. And so maybe you're in here today and you've been really wrestling with some things, maybe wrestling with some decisions, maybe wrestling with some temptation. Maybe you feel like you're alone in this world and you can't deal with what it is that you're facing. And I'm here to say to you that maybe you can't, but God in you can. So God's grace makes your life rich. God's grace gives you the Holy Spirit. And then here's, here's it. God's grace is my redemption. To redeem something means to buy it back. Now, I'm from North Carolina. Please don't hold that against me. I'm so North Carolina, I spin my shirt around my head like a helicopter, okay? (laughs) I raise up, okay? But where I'm from, I didn't grow up very wealthy. And thankfully, now that after years and years of hard work, I'm still not very wealthy. I like to joke with people about Pentecostal. I put the penny in Pentecostal. You don't believe me? Look at my paycheck. Okay. But often, when I was a teenager, especially when I'm playing in rock and roll bands, and I wanted to be the next great thing, I wanted to be on the cover of the Rolling Stone, like I wanted to be it, and I'm trying to play my guitar behind my head and all that stuff and get connected with this really weird dude who's in a punk rock band. We travel around the country and all kinds of stuff like that. And, and, and sometimes during that moment, you, you just, you don't have money to eat. Like y'all one time we drove like 25 hours from somewhere in the Midwest to Garland, Texas, which is Texas is the whole size of the Midwest. We drove like 25 hours, five people in a band To play for like four people and they gave us $50. Not fun. And so during those times in my life, I would often take a piece of music equipment and I would go to this store. Now listen, if you're in here and you're wealthy, just overlook what I'm about to say. But I would take it to what we called a pawn shop. Again, North Carolina, don't hold it against me. But a pawn shop is where you would go and you would just pawn something off. They'd give you some money and you'd go back and pay for it with interest and you'd get it back. But y'all know there were so many times when I just couldn't go and pay for it and get it back. And it really hurts because you you love this instrument. I mean, not as much as you love to eat, but you love this instrument and you got to get rid of it. Well, y'all, that's what sin does for us. We sell our lives away to sin. We buy into this false, false idea that if I have enough money, then I'll be happy. If I live in the right neighborhood, then I'll be happy. If my kids make straight A's all the time, I'll be happy. If my kids get the hit but aren't stupid enough to catch the ball the next time, I'll be happy. If I can have all the relationships, all the sex, all the this, all the that, I'll be happy. And what we do is we just pawn our lives away. And we try to buy our lives back with good deeds, don't we? There's this joke that we say, is, don't drink, smoke, or chew, or run with folks that do. Like, we try to to buy our lives back with good moral behavior. We try to buy our lives back with church attendance, don't we? Like, we're going to get in the line going to heaven, and we're going to be like, how many weeks in a row were you there? Well, I had a couple vacations, but I gave more. I gave more. Pastor Kevin said 650 I gave into that. And we try to buy ourselves back. Y'all, Jesus bought you back. And when I say that God's grace is your redemption, I want you to know that when Jesus hung for six hours on a cross, he hung for six hours on a cross for you and for me. He bought you back so that you can come home. As a matter of fact, God's word says in John 6:44 that none of us can come to him except the father draws us. And right now the father's drawing you either deeper in or drawing you back home. And I want to tell you today as we pray, don't kick against the father who's drawing you home. It's because of him that we live moving and have our being. He is the one who's redeemed us. And so as we come to the end of our time together today, I want to let you know you're going to catch that ball and get the final out a lot more than you want to, expect, uh, want to admit. There are going to be times when you're driving home and you're going, why did I say that? Or maybe you're like me and the Holy Spirit gets you while you're trying to take a shower. And you're like, oh, I can't believe I can't believe I did that. And you're like, man, I just want to take a shower and sing. Leave me alone, Jesus. That's redemption. And so I just want to tell you, as we, as we, as we close here today, Jesus told his disciples one day, He sends them out to go and minister and go and serve. And he empowers them to cast demons out and heal people. And and they come back and they're excited because when they prayed for people to cast demons out, they saw like the demons leave and like people were like, oh, and like demons are gone. And Jesus has this crazy thing he says to them. He says, don't rejoice over that. I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. If you want to know how quick God can get rid of your problem, that's how quick but rather rejoice that your name is written on the book of life in heaven. (laughs) Redemption is why we rejoice that this world has nothing for me, that eventually we'll have communion with Jesus himself, that we'll be in the presence of God. And while we're here on this side of eternity, we can do a little bit of good as we live on mission for him, as we move forward looking for the day when he returns. And so as we pray together today, if you're far from Jesus, God is drawing you in. And today, if you're close to Jesus, God's still drawing you in. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, help us to live in the richness of your grace. Often we think that grace is what saves us and we forget that grace is what empowers us along the journey. I pray for my friends here at Thrive Church that you would empower them along the journey. I pray for my friends at Thrive Church Online that you would empower them by your grace for the journey. Lord, draw us all into you. May we submit. May we say yes to you again. May we rejoice in the fact that though we don't always get it right, that you are faithful and we trust in your faithfulness to take us to where we need to go. And we honor you, Jesus, and we pray it all in your mighty name. Amen.